This is Satanism 101. We are on session, session number 23, War on God and the Church. And truly, there has been a long, long war uh, from the satanic side. As a matter of fact, that's where it all initiated. Now, it depends on you know who's listening, and primarily those enrolled in the course as a whole. You've looked over, in this course anyway, an overview of popular Satanism, psycho-Satanism, self-styled Satanism, traditional Satanism, real Luciferianism, and uh, elite Satanism, things like that. And depending upon, you know, all of those different systems or flavors within Satanism, the one, for example, Anton LaVey's Church of Satan, millions of hit, hits on their websites, hundreds of thousands of those who've come to look, uh, radio um, talk shows now, Satanism Today and uh, the Satan Radio talk show and different ones. Well, you and I, as believers in Christ, we're looking at the overall rise of uh, Satanism, and there's those that uh, deny that, but to deny it, again, denies the facts, as we read in Jerry Johnston's book, uh, in his The Rise of uh, Radical Evil in North America, that the fastest-growing subgroup among white middle-class kids in the 90s was Satanism. Now, back in the 80s, the reason Shadow the Darkness was founded, started, when I worked with young people, thousands of them in many schools in the area, we began to find quite a few students getting involved in Satanism, dabblers. But as we went after them to witness to them and share with them, we began to find out that they were getting their books and materials from others. Now, a dabbler, it's a very dangerous thing. For example, again, the story of Sean Sellers that simply you know, was given some occult books, whatever they were, from a babysitter and uh, whose life was, you know, out of line and uh, angry and different things. And he gave himself to a kind of self-styled Satanism. Maybe there was a group behind that that did train him and teach him. But the bottom line was that the demonic presence in his life, through his dabbling and his commitment to what he did know, led to the murder. He murdered his own mother and stepfather. And he says he did it, and he laughed with a satanic glee. Well, when we've looked over all those in the course, if you've looked at the course already and, and you're down at session 23, the the backdrop to all of this is the reality of Satan. And as we've already done a session on uh, the only place you're going to get an accurate and clear and full uh, record of the being uh, origins and so forth of Satan is going to be from the scriptures. Now you got to find other so-called religious writings, materials about evil and the presence of evil and dark spirits and possession and all kinds of things all over the world, uh, all over history. But what we need to realize is the Bible predicts again the ramping up. And so we've seen in the 90s um, the a absolute ramping up, uh, the rise of ritual abuse individuals began coming in late 70s, more so in the 80s by the thousands, hundreds of thousands in the 90s. And we've got to ask the question where it's all coming from when you see this rise, not only in Satanism, but again, new the New Age, in every level of... Uh, of alternative spirituality outside of uh, biblical uh, spiritual Christianity, there is uh, so many that are that are 
that are involved. And so we see the need, as you do, taking the course, and those who are listening even will see the, this, this growing need to understand. If you're involved in evangelism, it will involve evangelism to sometimes young dabblers into Satanism and maybe some serious individuals. And if you're involved in ministry to satanic ritual abuse, you're dealing with uh, some of the most sophisticated and, uh, again, the core. You're now down to the core of um, direct you know, you know, Satanism in the sense of belief in him, him as a person, in his agenda, and uh, being a part of trying to fulfill that agenda. So if you look at your notes on page... 39, we're going to go over just three points. Number one, uh, Satan's war on God in the church as revealed in Scripture. Number two, uh, the de- the defeated and counterfeit church. Number three, Satan seeks to silence and annihilate the church. So right now we're just going to look at the backdrop. Now, if you look at all at the materi- material literature, if you look at satanic rock bands and their hatred of Christ, their hatred of the church, uh, the bumper sticker that has said, um, too many Christians, not enough lions. If you begin to read uh, the Lords of Chaos and, and really take a look into the satanic presence within rock music, uh, not as a not as a, some kind of panic, but I mean, really, the factual side. Just take a look at the lyrics and then also those who've practiced uh, and got themselves involved with Aleister Crowley and many other... Um, occult writers, and they actually practice, including people that have uh, joined up with the Church of Satan, for example, uh, Marilyn Manson. So when you look at all that, you see the influence um, into the hundreds of thousands. The membership in the Church of Satan and the groups have grown, and the rise in uh, the victim level, it's all there. Now, all of that, again, is evidence of the fulfillment of Scripture in the rise of uh, dark spirits and uh, you know counterfeit, um, well, counterfeit spirituality in the sense of a counterfeit church, since we've already looked at the fact that Satan seeks to counterfeit, you know, everything about you know Jesus, the gospel, God, everything, including including developing a different system than the church. So just as there's alternative uh, doctrine, didache of demons, as we read in Timothy 4, and we see there's counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles, 2 Thessalonians 2, that Satan can masquerade himself as an angel of light, counterfeiting angelic presence, and that his ministers will also counterfeit, act like ministers of righteousness, and really truly be serving Satan. So you see this in Scripture all across, and we're just seeing uh, incredible um, you know, inroads. Now, it is true that if you do not take a look, if you're not out on the field, if you're not into reaching the world, if you're not really you know, alert, that, that, that Christian, Chris, Christian leaders even can be completely ignorant. And I've found this over the years, um, that they don't have enough information. They've studied the old things. We're not dealing so much with just um, humanists any longer. We're dealing with people that are going to be having a fierce, uh, dark spirituality, which includes, by the way, that that thin, happy, shimmering 
um, veil of the New Age movement. On the other side of that cloth that makes itself look peaceful and and uh, uh, people-friendly, on the other side of that are the teachings of Alice Bailey and others that uh, come in ferociously uh, against the church. Alice Bailey herself teaching, in that book we've mentioned many times, the externalization of the hierarchy, uh, about how to subvert the church, how to make this, this the, the uh, you know the occult spiritual groups to be looked like the church, and I I have been in a kind of uh, evangelistic infiltration of some of those groups, and it is kind of true. You go to the groups and they have um, group meetings and they uh, have food fellowship and share and do things and get in and there's 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 a similarity and you hear a lot of the testimonies of the people like at the theosophical society and others about how they used to go to church but now they come to these uh, groups and the agenda if you look again at Alice Bailey's writings which we'll talk about in another session session 24 um, there is that sense of um, war on God, war on Christ, and in much of that, it's time you know replacement. If you can't defeat, just simply divert and replace everything. Well, point number one: Satan's war on the church. It's revealed in Scripture. I mean, we look back to Ezekiel twenty-eight. We've mentioned before that he was a perfect being. Of, anointed cherub until wickedness was found in him and that he uh that in his widespread uh trade this trafficking trafficking this uh this um appealing and and drive to get all the angels to rebel against God with him so this willful wickedness is a direct assault on God now this is true in Isaiah 14 too where the the description of I will you know take the throne of God. So you got to understand that Satan's turning within involved a direct um, commitment and disposition to make war on God, to hate God, to fight against God, to get rid of God, to replace God with himself. So that's the disposition in the beginning, and so it begins in Ezekiel twenty eight as a war. It continues as he seeks to bring one-third of the angels, and we read about that further in Revelation 12, where he's called the dragon, the ancient you know, serpent, and he takes one-third of the stars and the angels. Well, we find that he's also making war on the appearance of, of the Son of God when Israel, uh, specifically Mary, is going to give birth. And so he's there ready to fight and ready to attack. And the word of God says he wants to devour. And then when he can't do it, he wants to go after Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, Old uh, Covenant. And then he wants to, when he can't destroy them, he wants to go to the New Testament, the New Covenant, and to believers, to Christians. So the focus right now is in his war on God, since he can't get to Christ and he can't destroy and eliminate Israel, the active work of God is being done through the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail or withstand it. So the power of God, the message of God, the presence of God, the church is considered the temple of God, the temple of his presence. 
So we see in the New Testament, obvious battle. Satan has declared war on the church. And it's obvious that he uh, that uh, he try. not only does he continue to lead the world in rebellion, but that he'll go to the church to attack it and bring deception. And I think, again, you can see how he uses you know false doctrines like the Gnostics in the early church. You can look at the super apostles, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is writing by the Spirit of God that he's concerned for the believers that they might somehow be led astray from their pure and sincere devotion to Christ. How? Well, by the same way Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. And so we see that in that one scripture, 2 Thessalonians chapter 11, Satan works in the exact same way. And he works in the same way as far as trying to uh, derail their faith and eventually pull them over. Now take again a look at Matthew 4 when Satan attacks Jesus. He literally wants to convert Jesus. So when we as believers sit back and think in terms of what Satan's doing, he doesn't want to just derail you, make you weak, and so forth. Ultimately, he'd love to turn you. Look at the methodology. Look at the uh, the attack, the war on Job. The entire issue was to get him to blaspheme, to continue to hurt him again and again and again, continue to damage him in every way possible with one goal behind that. Get him angry at God. Get him to come to the point to blaspheme, to reject, to hate God. And that's a methodology in spiritual warfare that every believer needs to understand. When those arrows come in, when bad circumstances occur, the the dark side is around to shoot communication. Involuntary feelings, involuntary thoughts, uh, communication. Even using other people and inspiring or piggybacking them to speak to you about how stupid it it is for you to follow Christ when all kinds of bad things are going on in your life. So you got to realize that um, Satan is out. Well, the big revelation of this is not only when Jesus was with the disciples and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fall. So I want to emphasize to every single believer that has studied this course, Satan doesn't want you to know the information, I know that, but God does, biblical, and God wants you and I to be involved in the great mission. And the most powerful and the safest place is to be filled with the Spirit of God, being a part of the Great Commission, and out on the field doing the work of God. That's the safest place. Now, it's where we may find the manifested activity of Satan the most, too, because that's where he's operating in and against the church, let alone individuals that are possessed or demonized in some way that we'll run into as we're evangelizing. So you and I have got to realize the kind of uh, attack um, and deception he seeks to bring. And the reason I'm bringing a lot of this out is not because we're going over another spiritual warfare teaching. We've got a course on that. We've shared, hopefully, um, if you're able to, take the spiritual warfare basics course because that goes over the whole issue of the, the world, the flesh, and the devil and the warfare. On the other side of that, the victory that Jesus brought and the victories that we can have in being very, very strong, and what we need to do. Now, Christians are told uh, that they have been given the authority of Christ, Luke 10. 
that we are commanded to put on the armor of God, Ephesians 6, and that we're warned to be self-controlled and alert in 1 Peter 5, 7, 8, that the devil, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around seeking whom he may devour. Now, the reason I think that we need to know that is for our own sakes, but realize, Christians, that Satan does attack churches. He wants to weaken churches, corrupt churches, do all that he can to local churches. And he'd love to get you then to say, oh, look how off-base the church is. Look, let's slander the church the way Satan does. Satan's the accuser of the brethren, night and day. Revelation 12, that's part of his agenda. He wants to, you know, this is what he does. He wants to lead us into sin and cynicism and criticism and spiritual depression. And then, it's, then not only to get mad at God direct, maybe maybe he can't lead us to get mad at God direct, but, you know, if he can get you to be mad at the church, it's about dividing and conquering. Dividing and conquering in the body of Christ. Now, the church is indestructible overall. That doesn't mean that individual local churches uh, will not you know, lose out. And there's even warning by Jesus that local churches that are not going to walk with God in the right way over a period of time, he can, uh, as he says to Laodicea, spew them out of his mouth. Or like Sardis, that the light can completely go out. Just because it's a building that has a traditional church name on it doesn't mean that it's automatically a real church. And when I say that, let me just say that real local churches, by the way, the, the, the Greek word ekklesia is used in the New Testament, I don't know, somewhere around 98 times, I think, 97. And about 94 of those is referring to local church, the visible local church. And... This is where in communities all over the world and in America, the the last I've read anyway, around 500,000 local churches. And they can be churches that meet in, uh, you know, a warehouse. They can be meeting in a basement of a school. They can be meeting, uh, you know, whatever building. They can have a great, you know, the building issue. It's great to have a good building, a a usable, functional building. And so there's been a lot of religious buildings built too. But the bottom line is, Ecclesia is a reference to the people of God, the church gathered together. Yes, we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12. And we have been made a part of the entire body. And Jesus commands the great commandment for believers, John 13, to love one another as he loved us, that the world may know that we are his disciples. So if Satan can discourage Christians, divide Christians, and weaken the body of Christ and and break us in our love for each other, our loyalty to each other, our working together, our unity in Christ, well, then, then he's really dampening the possible, powerful witness of the body of Christ to the world. Jesus intended that not only your life, but that the church as a whole would be a great witness to the world. Dr. Francis Schaeffer, the great theologian, wrote a book I would encourage you to read at some point called The The Church Before the Watching World. The Church Before the Watching World. It's just a small book. And maybe with that, 
read the classic Andrew Murray, The State of the Church. See, I'm bent on love for the body of Christ, being a repairer, helper, praying for revival, trying to see the body of Christ be the best witness it can be. Now, that's what I believe. You know, Again, let's just ask, what does God call the believer to be concerning the church? I don't care what anybody's objections are or, well, this person hurt me or I don't like what they're doing over here, whatever, whatever. Let me ask you something. Who is Lord of your life? Hopefully we haven't pushed Jesus off the throne and set ourselves there and made ourselves the decision maker. Under the Lordship of Christ, he has authority. By his spirit, he's put us in the body. By his command, he tells us to be there, not to forsake the assembling. Local churches should be believers that are gathering together, number one, to be in the presence of the living Christ and worship him gathering around him, worshiping him. When two or three gather in my name, there am I in the midst of them, Jesus said. There should be a pouring out of prayer and intercession, just like in Acts chapter 4. 1 Timothy 2 bears this out. So worship and prayer should be there. You can have a Bible study, you know, in your home with five people. That's fine. It's not the same thing as the collected church. Church involves uh, corporate worship, corporate prayer, the hearing corporately of the Word of God, the corporate use of spiritual gifts for the common good, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, the Word of God is a very important part of that as, as pastors and leaders are commanded in the book of Timothy to preach the Word in season and out in the sight of God, in the presence of God, uh, to preach the Word carefully, to teach and to equip. And leaders are to equip the saints for works of service. And collectively, the local church and the whole body, but each one locally too, uh, it can't be a local church if it's not evangelizing. Now, the local church should be doing communion and baptisms, no question about that. A local church should be doing worship, prayer, into the Word of God, into fellowship and ministry, you know, letting spiritual gifts be used for the common good and the building up of the church. And then that collective church should be utterly committed to evangelism, discipleship, reaching the world. It should involve healing and deliverance. And so it's very important. It doesn't make any difference if it's 25 members doing this. But if you're doing the will of God, which involves evangelism as a church, the church will, will grow automatically because people are getting saved and baptized, and discipled. And if the church, the membership, in loyalty to Jesus Christ under his lordship, are obedient to the word of God when Jesus said, I command you to love one another as I have loved you, that the world would know that you are my disciples. I believe that Jesus set out to build a church that would express the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, that would be a mirror of that. And I have seen that over 34 years. I have seen battle, yes. The battles within the church are based on the flesh, immature, fleshly, sinful attitudes and actions, and Satan's seeking to devour believers and, and cripple the church. 
Now, the reason I'm bringing out the other side of saying, listen, the church can be powerful and strong and and it can have corporate worship, corporate prayer, uh, definite corporate commitment to hearing and obeying the word of God, the use of spiritual gifts, the corporate commitment to evangelism, uh, discipleship, uh, seeing the power, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of God, the Holy Spirit. There should be that taking of communion, baptism of the Lord. So when we're talking about the local church, one of the great evidences is, again, the living Christ in that church, uh, the agape love in that church, the word of God in that church, uh, the evangelism that's going on. How can you be a church for a year and not lead one soul to Christ? How can it be that there be a church of, a, of 400 members and in one year uh, not even one person come to Christ? Now that's what leadership has to deal with let alone the fact that uh, when revivals come and God you know, literally smacks the church with the Holy Spirit, usually that's all about getting them to repent of what they're not doing and not being as the body. You know how, you know how listen, it all comes down to the simplicity of uh, John's Gospel 15 and being chosen in Christ to bear fruit, to be the privilege of, But the truth is that if you are obedient to the Word of God, to Jesus, out of love for Jesus, you put the Word into practice, you will be worshiping. You will be praying. You will be evangelizing. You will be in the Word of God. You will be praying for the sick. You will be uh, commanding demonic against, you know, uh, using spiritual warfare against dark powers. You will be involved with communion. You will be loving believers and going after the backslidden and being a a powerful example. If you stay obedient, here's part of the problem with immaturity. Many believers look into the church and say they see immaturity themselves and therefore they back away from it. Or they simply wait for the church to get better so that they can get better. My question, and I believe God's question, is what are you waiting on? If you know the Word of God, get up. Man of God, get up, woman of God, and do the will of God. You don't have to wait on anybody. And the Word of God will lead you to be a great influence in the body of Christ, an agent for revival and inspiration. You know, if you're coming to the church every Sunday, you know, in the meetings, filled with the Spirit, with your word, you know, Bible in your hand. If you're coming in to love people and you're you're unleashing your giftings and love to the people and praying for the church and you're involved like that, like a real believer, you're going to have effect, and you can affect the entire church. You can infect it with the love, grace, power, might, and beauty and will of God for the church as intended in Scripture. Um, But the great thing is when you have a church when the majority are doing that. And when the church is so packed with the power of God and the will of God. So we see the gathering of the church in Acts chapter 4 in the initial formation of the church. Remember, they didn't have a steady place to meet yet. They They took an adaptive approach. So I'm saying a lot about the church and what it can, should, and what Jesus wants it to be, and that there are great churches and great services, and abs. I mean, I, I could not imagine being without being within the body. I just can't. Uh, it's not the will of God to be a loner. 
You can be, uh, matter of fact, as a loner, you're outside the will of God, and uh, you are more apt to lose battles. So let's be a part of the family. We've been saved and reconciled to be a part of the family. Take a look at Ephesians 3.14, and I think that's a great revelation on the church, the family of God, too. Now, when I mention in number one on this page, session 23, the reason I mentioned so many things about the church is that Satan knows that it is the weapon of God, and it is it is the vessel of his presence, the vessel of his word, the vessel through which, you know what, no miracle, no deliverance, no work of God occurred anywhere in the book of Acts except through the church, through the body, through the people. And this is why Satan would love to destroy it and harm it and give it a bad name, and uh, you know, hurt it in many different ways. So when we find in Acts chapter 4, the power of God comes down and shakes the building. All the believers begin to unleash the gospel, preach the word. Obviously, by Acts chapter 5, more people can get saved and healed and delivered. Now, the other side of that story is two individuals, Ananias and Sapphira, that were you know, wanting to be a part, sold their properties, but they conspired together. The Greek word means that they they chose a way to try to pull the wool over the eyes of the church and lie. And in that secret commitment to test the church, conspire together, to clearly lie, it's very clear in Acts 5 that Satan entered into them. Now Peter stood there filled with the Spirit of God and discerned instantly what was going on? He told them very clearly, you have not lied to, to men, but to God in reference to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God, the Holy Spirit. And he asked the question under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why have you let Satan so fill your heart? The Greek word filled there, fill, is the same one used for believers being filled with the Spirit. When we're yielded to the will of God and, and, and move in that direction, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And here we have two individuals that were yielded and willing uh, to, to, be, to live and, and covertly and conspire. The word again, the Greek word means to test the durability of the church and to see about pulling the wool over the eyes of the church. And that's, that's right where Satan stepped in. That's how he began to try to infiltrate the early church. And obviously, he would have brought corruption. Please understand, I've heard many people say and ministers say, hey, you know, this is the body of Christ. You know, they're in a local church service or whatever. And um, I was in a church in California, probably about 2,000 people there that day. And the, and the pastor comes saying, uh, Satan can't enter this room. Uh, the blood of Jesus is here. And Satan can't cross this line, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he was wrong. Satan can enter in through an individual who's open to him. Just like with the Judas issue at the Lord's table, when Jesus was literally there, the disciples were there at the Lord's you know, table. They were fellowshipping and eating together. And in Luke's Gospel 22, we read how Satan, right there in that place, entered into Judas and had him get up and leave and go betray Christ. So individuals, because the church doors are open for everybody, you know, the bottom line is we, we always want everybody to come. That means that individuals that can be have demonic attachment, demonic oppression, 
or have some level of um, demonization, or be a really committed uh, Satanist that has demonic presence and power wanting to sneak in. So all of that is, again, biblical revelation. It comes down then to our practice, to our what is really going on, and that's point number two. Uh, Satan's goal to bring, uh, you know, dealing, you know, to deal, to bring a blow to the church. It's obviously that he's attacking the church and attacking ministers. In First Thessalonians, we can read about the Apostle Paul, how he planned to do ministry to come, but he says Satan stopped us. He recognized that through events, specifically, that Satan had worked in such a way to stop him. Now, I want you to think in terms of the defeated church. Why would a church be defeated? I mean, what are some of the evidence of the defeated church? Well, uh, it's cold. Uh, the worship's not really there. Hardly any praying. Definitely nobody getting saved. And um, maybe not a whole lot of love going on. But everybody comes out of duty and out of, uh, you know, a carnal heart. Now the flesh fleshliness of uh, you know that we can you know have to deal with the inner war that could occur and we can read the acts of the flesh in Galatians 5 um divisions factions slanders malice all of that is of the flesh any believer slandering others having malice you know putting a bad you know throwing a casting a, a dark blanket of words over somebody's life or dividing or creating their own little faction, us four and no more, that's all the flesh. God doesn't lead that. The Holy Spirit doesn't guide that. The Holy Spirit's not into uh, separating the church and uh, creating factions and creating lone rangers and so forth. He's not into that. So when you think in terms of churches that are defeated, I want you to understand that that's Satan's goal. And the best place really to study is the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 through two and 3, when you and I can read about Sardis, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Ephesus. All those are real local churches that had, you know, where Jesus dealt with each one of them according to what, you know, what, you know where they were. It wasn't just a corporate blanket like all the body. Um, he was dealing with each one of them. They each had a responsibility under the Lordship of Jesus, to be worshiping, praying in the Word, obeying the Word, evangelism, using their gifts, doing the works of Jesus. It's obvious that Sardis, the church Sardis, local church, was once alive but became dead. Jesus said he's not found their deeds, the works, complete in the sight of God. And that they were to repent and obey it, they can find life again. That was the good news. They can get revived by repenting, standing up, putting back into practice the Word and the things they've received. Put your spiritual gifts, put the Word of God and the mission of God back into practice. And the power of God will be there. Now, even Laodicea, he gave them an opportunity. Is is uh, self oriented as they were and blinded spiritually as they were, Jesus you know, dealt with them directly and gave them an option to learn 
how to come and get back in full fellowship, you know, real living fellowship. And nothing beats real living fellowship. The early church was not boring at all when the living presence of Christ, great worship in the power of the Spirit, unleashing of prayers of the saints, the faithful unleashing of the powerful Word of God preached by a Holy Spirit-gifted individual, where spiritual gifts are ministered throughout the body in a given day or service, and fellowship and communion and uh, people getting saved and or healed and or delivered and or ministered to, uh, all in that context. I can remember, you know, coming out of a lot of great services where I was affected all week long by what occurred there. And nothing beats that. Nothing beats that. Nothing could be worse when it's a cold, stale, dry, you know, Sardis, you know, once alive but now dead. It's not dead because it's not emotionally, you know, yelling and screaming. That has nothing to do with spirituality, really. It's dead because it quit doing the works of Jesus. The Word of God was not being put into practice any longer. They were just, you know, sitting there. And therefore, there was no activity and no fruit being born. And and, uh, and uh, obviously, it became very dead-oriented. So, please understand that Satan seeks to defeat, devour believers. Uh, if he can't do that... We can read in 1 John chapter 2 even where the riot of the Holy Spirit leads out and says, you know, these things are being written to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. The demonic realm has no problem using individuals, piggybacking their lives, moving them into the body to see if they can get them to start teaching occult doctrines and uh, leading other people astray and bringing confusion and so forth. That's why a local church should have a declared doctrinal statement. That's why they should, you know, they should, everybody should know this is what we believe that, you know, the authority and infallibility of the word, the virgin birth and the Trinity and, and uh, Jesus saves by faith alone. I mean, the real biblical truths uh, need to be stated. And when somebody comes in to start teaching some kind of New Age doctrine or old Gnostic doctrine or cultic doctrine, it needs to be confronted. In the early churches, the sad thing, when Jesus would come to some of those churches, he hey, um, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. She was an occult priestess teaching occult doctrine, the dake of demons, and leading the servants of God, leading, you know, infant Christians even, into uh, occult-oriented sexual, you know, sins because of the, you know, doctrines of demons, the confusing teachings that were being brought in. Now, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that any church can allow New Age teachings in and so forth. Now, listen, it's not enough to just say that's going on also. It's, and again, you're not going to hear me just blatantly attack the church. If I'm going to see a church, I want to go and, and deal with something to help things. You know, I don't want to be just somebody behind a microphone that throws rocks, and that's all that occurs. That's not my ministry. You know, if I want to point out things, I want to see things changed and turned around. Jesus offered grace. Jesus offered those seven churches a way out of their failure and their defeat and out of their spiritual warfare fa failure of where, you know, corruption was coming in through through uh, demonic 
teaching and workings. Now, we also have the issue of counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles, and all the more today. 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us that uh, the Antichrist is coming in accordance with Satan uh, when he displays counterfeit, false, pseudo is the word, signs, wonders, and miracles. Literal, spiritual, I mean, real things that can occur. Just like Jesus did, signs, wonders, and miracles. Just like the church in Acts 4, they prayed for healing and signs and wonders to be done in the name of, of the Holy Servant Jesus. And they were done. And Jesus does this today, to this very day. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. So just because Satan is doing signs and wonders, counterfeit signs and wonders, doesn't mean that I'm going to stop believing God for miracles and answers to prayer and trusting that he can do extraordinary things in these days. As a matter of fact, that's probably what we need to see. The Word of God preached clearly, obeyed explicitly, and... God, the Holy Spirit, operating in power and even in sign and wonder in opposition to the counterfeit. Don't forget 1 John 4 that tells you and I that greater is the one that dwells in us than the one in the world. So if it's a weak church that simply retreats and writes books and tries to say, you know, well, we're just going to stick to the word, you know, and we don't do healing, we don't do deliverance, we don't, you know, nothing supernatural can happen at our church. Well, if that's the position you take, that's what you're going to get. If you want to cut off uh, the aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit, that's somebody else's decision. It's not about movements, it's not about denominations, it's simply about the consistent, unchanging mercy and grace of God to the very end. And just as Satan will ramp up all his stuff, I believe God will uh, unleash and ramp up his church, including the release of the two witnesses that will prophesy, speak, and witness to the world in doing signs and wonders. The issue is not whether we should or shouldn't have them. That's not our decision. That's God's decision. The healthy church, again, living, powerful, in the presence of Christ, worship, prayer, word, fellowship, evangelism, includes healing, deliverance, and miraculous things from God. All the gifts of the Spirit are those miraculous things too, and they need to be done in the context of which they've been given only. There are movements that over-exaggerated and misused, and that's got to be cleaned up. There are other movements that decided, hey, these things ceased, we don't need them, and we don't want them. Both were terribly wrong. Under the lordship of Jesus, we need to be obedient to him, receive all, and maturely develop and use um, and, and as we see all these giftings and powerful things. God, God does some great and powerful things. You can read the history of the church, history of revival. You can read a book called A Blaze for God packed with, uh, listen, I know, I, I, you know, even involved in dealing with the demonic realm a lot, I see the power of God a lot. It inspires me when I, when I see people get saved or lead someone to Christ, or I'm praying for things and praying for God to, you know, for the power of the Spirit of God to fall here. Acts chapter 4 can be just as real today as it was 2,000 years ago. So don't forget the church, again, is the indefeatable, powerful, you know, powerful tool in the hand of God. 
but it does involve our obedience cooperation. It does involve spiritual warfare. And it does uh, have to come to grips with counterfeits, and we need that discernment and the charismatic gift of discernment because in the parable of the weed and the tares, the tares are out here. And they will sometimes come right in among, and the New Age movement, just like the Gnostics of the past, will try to come right into the church and derail things. Our goal needs to be that we need to be so uh, filled with the love of Christ, the power of God, so saturated with the Spirit of God and the Word of God that, um, you know, we need to be... <laughs> it doesn't make any difference whether they show up. That's why we in the church that I pastored last, we didn't care if Satan showed up. Demon-possessed people showed up at that church and went into full manifestation of demonic presence. And we had to deal with it right in the context of the entire congregation. Now so blessed to see that congregation stand tall, strong, brave, and learn and see the the compassionate redemption of Jesus. Now you can't you can't sit back and say, "Well, this is all we want." Uh, no, what we want is all that God gives. What we want is all that God gives and all that God grants us. Well, going on from there, I want you to again know that Satan does seek to bring uh, counterfeit, weakness, uh, corrupt the church, defeat the church, uh, do everything he can to derail. And we're supposed to be warriors ourselves along with people of grace and love. And we're supposed to be able to use authority. And and uh, so in the worship service, there should be great worship, prayers, but prayers on the offensive side are un- un- unleashing the grace of God for the salvation of lives, healing of lives, uh, you know, and so forth. But we need warfare prayers in every service too, exposing any and all demonic work and coming against it. We need that every time. And uh, that's part of the body. Uh, Building up with one hand and a sword of warfare in the other. Point three of page 39, Satan seeks to silence and annihilate the church in the future. Now, I want to mention again in Thessalonians, if you want to read 1 Thessalonians, you're going to re- read where the great Apostle Paul, where miracles were done, uh, you know, great missionary travels, but he acknowledges that Satan stopped him in his plans. Now, just because you get stopped or there's some kind of opposition doesn't mean that you don't you know, go around, seek the Lord, pray through things. Obviously, in the book of Acts chapter 5, uh, when the Holy Spirit through Peter, you know, it was shown that Satan was infiltrating and filling the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. Well, you know, something big occurred. You know, of course, both of them dropped dead. The church was in completely seized. I mean, everything, everybody was seized with fear about the issue. But they come to realize that warfare is real. Can I ask you something? Do you realize that warfare is real? That it's real. I can tell you right now, there are churches we can walk into, and individuals that have demonic attachment or even light level possession, people can be there. And because there is no uh, spiritual discernment, preparation, ministry to that area, awareness, like in, again, God says, 1 Peter 5. Be self controlled and alert. If you are not spiritually alert, I mean, listen, you can be open to the presence of God and be given in and also at the same time alert for Satan and his 
you know, prowling around. And you react. Uh, I can be there in a worship service enjoying the presence of God and praising God and praying and being with people and, and whatever else. And even after church where we've had food fellowships and and uh, uh, then still have to deal with somebody uh, that was demonized or keep my eye on somebody that was there to uh, bring trouble. That's part of what we need to be doing. And I want you to hear again in Revelation, you know, I mentioned this already, the concept of persecution also seen, not only through the New Testament with Stephen being the first martyr, but again, in the book of Revelation, we find one of the churches where there's a tie-in, where Antipas was a faithful witness of Christ, was, a, was martyred, put to death. And it talks about in a city where Satan has his throne. Satan has his throne. That means literally that at the center of the city, there was a, a central manifesting, a reason why there was satanic presence and power, whether that was a temple, uh, whatever it may have been, the doorway to, to bring about a real central satanic presence um, where there was uh, a manifest presence in such a way to oppose the presence of God, the, the uh, arrival of the church, uh, the salvation of souls, the existence of the church. In lands where the government is weak and there are satanic strongholds, through counterfeit religion, then you can expect the persecution of the church. The church has been violently persecuted in Russia, China, South Africa, the Sudan, in Arab countries. So you're going to find in the New Testament a connection between uh, occult, cult, uh, demonic doctrine uh, satanic uh, manifestation or influence um, and a corresponding then attack through persecution on the church. So you can take a look if you want to through the web, the uh, Voice of the Martyrs that does ministry worldwide to the persecuted church. You can read By Their Blood, a sequel to the Fox's Book of Martyrs about how more Christians have been martyred in the 20th century than in the history of the church, that brothers and sisters in Christ worldwide are going through persecution. You can uh, clearly read Marx and Satanism, referring to Karl Marx and Satanism by Richard Wombrandt, an absolutely incredible book showing how in atheistic communism, that the doors to Satanism in Karl Marx and other leaders was wide open and how there was a cruel and vicious persecution of believers doing all that they could to break their faith, um, destroy their faith, and bring great massive physical harm. You can see in Russia the entire occult uh, psychic warfare development, even in Russia. Please understand, Russia has its own massive dose of Satanism 
uh, and the development of uh, psychic warfare for the future. Well, Satan does seek to silence the church, and if you can, um, if you can take a look at Revelation uh, chapter twelve, you're going to be able to see where this is an incredible. I'm sorry, Revelation. We want to talk about Revelation uh, chapter seven. When John of the there, John is is lifted up and he sees in heaven this multitude from every tribe, every language, every you know people of the world. All of a sudden, these martyrs, well, they came up out of the Haithalipsis Haimagali, the great, the tribulation. So this mass number, probably again in the millions of people, but notice from worldwide, uh, from around the globe, they all of a sudden appear up in heaven. Now, why is that so? How did all these people get martyred? Probably somewhere around mid mid part of the tribulation or right after. And part of the issue is this: that when we see that there, that means that on the earth the wrath of Antichrist is unleashed, and an edict, as we see in the early church, uh, that can come even from Muslim imams, and that the Mahdi would, would be the Antichrist in their version could give an edict for global attack on the body of Christ. Now that we can find similar ideas of that written in occult literature, which we'll look at in uh, session 24. But just to simply say this, that there will be an attempt to annihilate Christendom. Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 5 shows the infiltration part and the warfare part and we find it all the way for 2,000 years of history. That he has opposed the church all over the globe, whether in South Africa, Korea, you know, China, philosophic systems. Satan can have his throne, his place of power and rule through political um, ideology, like the Nazis. That was an occult ideology. Their politics were based on doctrines of demons. So when we think in terms of this battle, there will be ongoing, you know, the closer we get towards the end, the more manifestation of demonic presence. Uh, you're going to see more and more, you know, persecution on believers. You can read in Blanche Barton's book, The Church of Satan, and uh, the desire, uh, the songs that Anton LaVey has written called Rage Satanus, and uh, the desire to attack and persecute Christians, uh, the belief among Luce, real Luciferians of attacking Christians and, um, and, and bringing harm to eliminate Christians. But I think that we need to take a serious look at Revelation 7 and see something in the future that has not yet occurred. But when it does occur, what John does see in heaven is something that occurs on the earth. On the one hand, it tells us that the church has gotten to every tribe, language, nation of people worldwide. Jesus said he wouldn't return to the gospel be preached to all the world, every tribe, every, you know, every, every people group anywhere in the world, every nation. So the persecution is seen to be worldwide. There seems to be a, an attempt at the annihilation of the church, of Christendom, now, it may be that millions do die, 
but it's very clear that the overwhelming majority of the church um, is not annihilated, still exists, and will be here to the very day of the parousia when the Lord Jesus comes. Well, this is what we want you to look over in this session, Satan's War on God, War on the Church. We find it happening all through the last 2,000 years. Uh, we see it uh, manifesting its teaching and thoughts through satanic writings, uh, through Luciferians. We find it in the context of satanic ritual abuse and what hundreds of thousands of victims are saying. We find it in biblical prophecy that more will come in an unprecedented way. But we also find in all of it, the church is still indestructible overall. The church is still going to be victorious overall. The church will fulfill its mission overall. You and I have, uh, you and I have um, a great work from the Lord Jesus to do and a great uh, work to uh, bring the love of God, the love of Christ, the message, to stand uh, filled with the Spirit of God and the love of God, but also stand armed and uh, ready to do warfare consistently and to trample the dark powers, overcoming all the power of the enemy. Jesus said, and nothing will harm you. So I just want to encourage you to uh, be part of both a vessel of unleashing the grace and the gospel and the good, you know, the work of God, and also a weapon, uh, a vessel of warfare against the work of the enemy as you take a look at all of this. Well, the Lord's blessing on you again. This is Satanism 101, Session 23, and uh, we will see you in Session 24.